chapter 5 uh, in Amos, working our way uh, through the book. Uh, it's a, one of the longer chapters, 27 verses. Um, but it's, it's really one of, the, one of the few areas in the book of Amos where there's any light given uh, at all. Uh, the overwhelming message was that uh, God's people in Israel had departed so far uh, from the truth of God and from the ways of God uh, that their, their judgment was not just pending, their judgment had already been decreed. In fact, in this passage, um, it begins with a, a funeral dirge is what it's called, uh, basically uh, uh, singing a sad song, a lamentation in regards to the fate of Israel in verses one through three there. And so all this is spoken of as having already happened, even though the judgment was not yet to come. And so you can imagine how difficult it was for Israel and their sinfulness not to, not to heed this warning. Uh, America is a good, a good way in a, in, a, in a similar situation. I mean, we can be so much in our prosperity and things are going well. And if somebody comes on the scene and says, uh, woe to America, uh, that your sins are, are about to be found out or be judged, it would be hard for Americans generally to believe that when we were in such prosperity. And that's kind of their situation. But God, through the prophet, prophet Amos, uh, calls them out very firmly and severely in the book of Amos. So let's read uh, chapter 5 and just bear with me through the 27 verses. I don't know that we'll cover all of those, uh, but perhaps. Hear this word which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. Here's the song. She has fallen, she will not rise again, the virgin of Israel. She lies neglected in her land, on her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left. And the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have 10 left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me, seek me that you may live. But do not resort to Bethel and do not come to Gilgal, nor cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal will certainly go into captivity and Bethel will come to trouble. Seek the Lord that you may live, or he will break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph, and it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel. For those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. It is he who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him. Speaking of Israel now, they hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps 
the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of the hosts of hosts, the Lord, there is a wailing in all the plazas, in all the streets. They say, alas, alas. And they also call the farmer to mourning and professional mourners to lamentation. And in all the vineyards, there is wailing because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him or goes home and leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present with me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sikath, your king, and Kilion, your images, the star of your gods which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we really didn't say much at all. These words speak for themselves, and Father, by your spirit, they speak deeply into our hearts. And Lord, every believer in the room and ought to fear, ought to, ought to have a trembling. And certainly those who are not believing should tremble in fear. For if you would call your own people to account this way, this peculiar and special people, uh, Israel, whom you had covenanted with, Father, if you will call them to account with such severity, how much greater will a sinner who defies and rejects God altogether be called to account someday? So, Father, help us hear with hearing ears and help us think with renewed minds, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, verses 1 through 3 uh, is really a dirge. Notice, uh, notice how it speaks in the present tense. So Israel has not yet experienced this judgment. Now God has disciplined his people through the years, both in the northern tribes and in Judah. So they knew what the severe disciplining hand of God was. But as of, as of this judgment, it had not, not yet commenced on them. But this funeral dirge, this, this lamentation is spoken of in the present tense as though it had already happened or even in the past tense. He says, speaking of this song, Amos says, hear this word which I take up for you. So this is a dirge from Amos or from the Lord. But he says, she has fallen, Israel. She will not rise again. The virgin Israel, that, was a <coughs> that, that had the idea of God chose her out as his bride. Uh, he brought her to himself. He's, he, he treated her differently from all the nations in the world. Among that family, he, he appointed and elected as special. And so he's talking to his, his people. And, this, and she has fallen, he says, and she will not rise again. She, not, she lies neglected on her land. There is none to raise her up. If God doesn't raise his own people up, there's no one else who can do it. The judgment of God has come upon her in this past tense, and there is no one who can raise her up. 
Verse 3, for thus says the Lord God, the city which goes forth a thousand strong. Notice the incremental decrease here. We'll only have a hundred left. And I think he's talking about those who would be warriors. In other words, their, defensive have, their defenses have been completely crushed. They could send out a thousand men strong. And that, after this judgment, they'll only send out a hundred. And those cities that could only send out a hundred, they'll only be able to send out 10. So you're gonna, you're gonna reduce the population as it were. You're certainly gonna reduce their defenses. They are utterly helpless as a virgin lying in the desert without anyone to assist them or raise them up and no defenses whatsoever. This is what God is going to bring upon his people who are in rebellion. Don't overlook this. Don't dismiss this. This is serious. And that's what the book of Amos keeps screaming at me every time I read through this. This is deadly serious. So much so that he has composed, as it were, a song to sing at the funeral of Israel. And he sings it for her right here. That's what this is. It's Israel's funeral song. In verse 4, there's three. This is interesting, but in verse 4, uh, verse uh, 6, and also verse 15, or verse, uh, verse 14, uh, all three of those passages use the word seek. And I thought the progression was interesting because the first one is seek me, the second one is seek the Lord, and the last one is seek good and not evil. Every one of those has attached to it that you may live. And so this is the only flash or glimmer of hope for Israel here. All other hope is gone. There's no allies. You can't go to Egypt. You can't go to Bethel. You can't go to Gilgal. There's nowhere else to go. There's no possibility of any deliverance. But in this small glimpse and this small window, and each of these is regarding the Lord. If you want to live, Israel, under all this judgment and under all this condemnation, verse 4, seek me that you may live. Now, he says later on, verse 6, seek the Lord, and, and the word there is Yahweh. But the idea of seeking me here, this is the Lord speaking. This is Isaiah saying, the, or Amos saying, thus saith the Lord, seek me. So Amos is not saying, seek me, Amos. Amos but is the mouthpiece of the Lord saying to his people, seek me. I can't overemphasize the singularity of who he says to seek. Seek the Lord. We have a New Testament comparison there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek me. That's critical. Now, listen, this is what he doesn't say don't seek the church. Don't seek the pastor. Don't seek the Sunday school class. Don't seek your husband. Husbands, don't seek your wives. Parents, children, don't seek your parents. All those are instrumental in what God does. But the call to God to deliver a people from his condemnation and judgment is to seek me. That's, what, that's where I think religion in America has gotten so far off track because it has become about a charitable organization. It has become about good works. It has become about everything but the central person involved in our redemption, which is Christ in God. Seek me, he says, that you may live. Verse 5, notice he says here as well, don't resort to Bethel. 
I shared this on Wednesday or Sunday night, but Bethel literally means the house of God. It is set, they had set up temples there uh, to, to parallel to keep the northern tribes from going to Judah and Jerusalem to worship. He says, don't go to Bethel and don't go to Gilgal. We talked about that's where Joshua set up the 12 stones from the Jericho and it was to be a, a memorial of the power and the might of God and a reminder to the people to fear God. He's saying to them now, don't seek... Don't seek something that I set up out there. Don't seek something that I did or some events in the past. Seek me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should not look to things that God has done and learn things about God's character and how he deals with the world in those things. But we are to seek those through him. Even the scriptures I mean, Jesus said to the religious leaders of his days, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you might find life. I'm telling you that they are they which speak of me, but you don't want anything to do with me. And that's exactly what the Jews were doing in many ways. They wanted the law and they thought they had life and salvation in the law. And so they would go after the law and not seek God in the midst of the law or out of the law. And therefore they were reduced to mere ceremony and it all dropped away because there was nothing to sustain it. There was no life. And so what happened, their faith became a snare to them. They began to practice those things with rote memorization and, and without any heart, without any authenticity, and it dwindled away to where they began to pervert it and do things that the law itself forbid them to do and justified it by the same law. I've heard that happen in our day. I've heard people take Bible text and, and justify doing the very thing that the text forbids. And that, that's how twisted you become when it's not God that you're seeking. When we worship together, it is not, it is not merely singing songs. It is not merely gathering together and having fellowship. If in all of these things, the object of our devotion and adoration and attention and desire, if it is not God, then it is destined to deteriorate into something other than worship. And I believe with all my heart, so much of what happens in churches on Sunday mornings is not in the eyes of God worship. I don't know what it is, but it is not that because it has nothing, it has God not as its object. Here, he says, the only light for Israel in the midst of this severity of the condemnation coming upon us as a rebellious people is seek me. This is God's personal invitation or admonition or imperative. Seek me. Notice as well that he says there, adds to that, that you may have life. Seek me that you may live. This is the only way that they were to be able to live. And in the New Testament sense, it's true as well. There is only life in Christ. Seeking Christ, seeking God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that is the only, that is the only seeking that will provide for you life. 
And there are places gathered all around the nation and the world today calling themselves churches, offering up something other than Him and promising people life in the process. It is not life to be prosperous. It is not life to be part of the in crowd. It is not life to be part of a trend or a fad somewhere. It is life seeking God. Only life flows from Him. And the only avenue we have to the Father is through the Son. Seek me that you may have life. For Christians, I think we ought to be doing some serious self-evaluation in regards to what is it that we are seeking in our faith. And if you think, well, we don't need to worry about that, Larry. Well, the, new, the, the churches in Revelation seem to need to worry about it because one of, the, one of the condemnations was that they had left their first love. In other words, they were doing all sorts of ministry things and apparently having some success in reaching people and perhaps growing a ministry and perhaps even being prosperous among their peers. But the one thing they left off was the one thing from whom their life flowed. Christ, you have left me your first love. So to me, it's a warning for Christians as well. Because we're creatures of habit and we are still battling and putting to death an old nature that inclined towards satisfying the flesh. So we will, we will take what begins with life and authenticity and in the practice of it, let it dwindle away into mere habit and to mere pursuits of other things other than God. So Amos says very strongly, the Lord says through Amos, seek me that you may live. And in seeking him, by the way, what I was mentioning is Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba. All these are, are to be rejected in that say. In other words, don't seek me and do the Bethel and do the Gilgal and do the Beersheba. It's this, this don't, go, don't do this is on the tail of doing this. So what we would do is well, we need to add God to the list. I've heard, uh, I've heard people make it that way in, 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 the, in the Gospels when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And they say, okay, I'll go to church Sunday morning, seek God and his righteousness, and then I can leave church Sunday morning and have all the pursuits I want to during the week. As long as everything finds its place underneath that, I'm good to go. I think there's a more, a more powerful and profound meaning to that in the New Testament. I think it means in everything seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In my relationships, in my career, in my pursuits, in my hobbies, in my recreation, in my diet, in my clothing, in everything seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. I think that's a proper weightiness of what's called for there. It's not as simple as saying, okay, I went to church, I got that out of the way, now let's pursue all the things that are under it the rest of my week. And I'll come back next Sunday and repent for whatever I goofed up on in that week and put him back in first place and go on like that for decades. So it's not seek me and Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba or don't seek me at those places, seek me. So that's God's own admonition. And he says in verse 6, seek the Lord. This is coming back to Amos. This is in the person of Amos. Now Amos is saying, seek the Lord. That name there, the all caps there, that is the covenant name of God. 
He is Elohim, which is, has the idea of the creator God, the, the God of all the universe. He is that as Yahweh as well. But by saying, seek the Lord, he's pointing out, seek the God who sought you. He called you out. Of all the nations and all the families on the earth, he called this people out of idolatry and, and chose to enter into covenant with them based upon his own righteousness and his own character. And he's calling him by that name. Seek that God. Almost as a reminder from Amos, this is the God who calls you to seek him. He's the God who sought you ahead of time. And to me, there's a lot of theology in that. He's not calling a people who haven't been sought by God to seek God. He's calling a people who had been sought out by God, had been set apart by God, and who had resisted God and fallen into sin and rebellion against God. Seek the God who sought you out. Christian, you and I, if we find ourselves backsliding or slipping away from our devotion to Christ, remember that seek the one who sought you out. To me, there's nothing more invigorating spiritually than to, than to think in terms of me and my lostness. No appetite for spiritual things, no appetite for God, whatever, whatever imprints might have been there as a result of being created in the image of God were so suppressed in unrighteousness that they were effectively non-existent in me. Nothing there at all. But this God of grace came and sought me out. Out of my death, out of my darkness, pulled me out of those things. And, and, the, and the joy in that moment and the coming alive, the, literally the new birth in that moment. So, so invigorating. But then 15 years in or 20 years in. You, get, you learn all the doctrines and you learn all the practices and you settle into this routine and this is the essence of what Christianity is and all of a sudden you begin to lose the spiritual vitality of union with Christ. And you start drifting and, and then church becomes just routine and you just check the boxes and fill in the blanks and you do your duty each week and you expect the blessings to keep flowing in. And then suddenly God deals with you like he does Israel. He comes to you and he brings catastrophe maybe into your life. And so often we do just like Israel. We, we don't hear it. It's a natural disaster. Well, that happens to everybody. Could have happened to anybody. We justify it that way, and so we harden our hearts and stiffen our necks and move farther away from God, so God sends a greater calamity. And on and on and on, he keeps reaching out to the one he called, and the one he called to himself, the one he sought, and yet they would not seek him. So he's saying to them, seek the Lord. Amos is doing. This is Amos's admonition. This is the word of God given through the mouthpiece or the instrument of God, uh, and the admonition is the same. God says, personally, seek me. And then through his prophet, he, he calls us to himself by the admonition of those who are instruments. You, I'm not an Amos, but you could put me in the role tonight of an instrument. I'm saying, thus saith the Lord, seek the Lord. That's, a, that's an instrument, a mouthpiece of the Lord's imperative and admonishment for everybody in this room. Seek the Lord. That's what's happening to Israel here. Amos now is saying to them, seek the Lord. No one else, nothing else, no other system, no other, no other strategy. Certainly not looking inward to see if you can reform yourself 
Amos is saying to everyone who would have life, seek the Lord. So you've got God's own personal seeking, God's own personal invitation, as it were, or His own personal admonition. And then through the prophet, you have the admonition of the prophet. And, and to me, we could insert the scriptures here. Do you know what the, to me, this Bible screams? Seek the Lord. Every single page. In the beginning, seek the Lord. All the way to the end, seek the Lord. Every single page is the, God's admonition through His ordained instrument, the Word of God, calling everyone, calling His own people to seek Him. Now, if you and I did that, we'd be egomaniacs. But when God does it, it, it lends itself to our greatest fulfillment, our greatest joy. It is in seeking God and finding all of my satisfaction in God is, is where my greatest joy resides. And to not do that is to deprive myself of joy. It amazes me when I was lost how I thought that giving my life to Christ would rob me of joy. You, you anybody here remember being lost? Did you think that way? I mean, everything God demanded promised to me that it's going to take my phone away big time. And, the, and I resisted a long time, as it were, because I thought I would be giving up something for something less, something I valued for something that I valued less. It is exactly the opposite. It is exactly the opposite. The new birth makes that fellowship and joy found in Christ and God the superior joy in your life that, that enables you to put off those lesser joys incrementally as you live your life. This is what Amos is calling Israel to. Let me reiterate here. This is the only light. I mean, if you read this book, in fact, I've been, I've been considering not uh, pausing the preaching through Amos because I've been concerned that you're, you're hearing condemnation, 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 and it's grating on your, on your attitude and your spirit. And so I've been contemplating that. But there's, there's joy here. There's truth here. There's severe admonition, yes. There's a, a rehearsal, but the reason that the judgment and the condemnation is, is drove down, driven down so hard is so that when that glimmer of light shines, you'll feel it. You'll want it at that moment, like the life preserver for a drowning man is wanted. So he's beaten us down, as it were, all the way through this chapter. And he gets to chapter 5. And this is the first chapter where he begins to say, Seek me that you may live. And Amos follows it up as the instrument of the Lord. Seek the Lord that you may live. What's the alternative? Look in verse 6. Or he will break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph. And it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel. For those who turn justice into wormwood, the word literally means bitterness. Those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness down onto the earth. That's, that's the ones against whom this will break out like fire. The imagery there seems to me like a sudden fire. Uh, we all witnessed recently the tragedy of the wildfires in Maui and, and people, I understand, were incinerated in their cars, couldn't get out because the heat was too great and the only protection they could find in those last moments was perhaps in the car and the flames broke out so, so rapidly and so intensely that they were incinerated and charred in their car. 
That's the imagery here. Seek the Lord, he says, that you may live or else he will break out like fire. Someday, it was going to happen in Israel, the judgment's predicted, but it's going to happen someday for all those who reject Christ because the day of your, uh, the last day of life is coming someday and apart from Christ, in that moment, he will break out like a consuming fire. And so it will be on this world someday whenever all the elect are home. And God calls to account this wicked world. So who is a God? Who's the God who could do that? They had their false gods. He talks about later on. You carried the false gods along with you in the wilderness. You were watching God give manna apart the Red Sea and sin quail. And you still carried your gods along with you in the wilderness. So what kind of God could overpower their views of power and and and? strength and might in this world what sort of God could bring this to pass well Amos answers it it's the God who made the Pleiades and Orion the constellations he made them he doesn't just guide them he made them he made them they didn't just come into existence he created the Pleiades and Orion and they follow their course in the sky according to his design not only that, but he changes deep darkness into morning. Who also darkens day into night. The sun sets. Who's the God who can bring this breaking out on those who would reject him? He's the God who caused the sun to go down. Or in our scientific world, that he's the one who caused the earth to rotate. I caught a, a little clip of the news this week uh, along those lines. But suddenly scientists... <laughs> Uh, maybe y'all have heard this, but I had not. But scientists discovered that there is, a, there is a volume of water in the center of the earth that far exceeds the entirety of the oceans of the world. And then they scratch their head and they say, well, how could there be a worldwide flood? That's how. It says the springs of the deep were broken up. So water came down and water came up. And there's nothing that wasn't underwater. Worldwide flood. That's this God. The God who says, seek me that you may live or else I will break out like fire upon you is the God who brought into existence those things. He is not a God, as I've said already, to be trifled with. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. Who's in charge of that water cycle? I remember in grade school learning this. The oceans heat up, they evaporate, goes up into the clouds, clouds come over the land, drop the rain in the high mountains, they run down into streams, all the big rivers, and they finally make their way back to the ocean. The water cycle it just goes on and on and on in perpetuity according to the will of God and the timing of God. God did that. He calls the water. In other words, we say, well, no, that's evaporation. Well, there's a voice. The implication is there is a voice that initiates evaporation it's not just evaporation it's not just a scientific theory working out there or some empirical observation it is the voice and power of God Almighty that causes the dew to condensate up into the clouds and causes the wind to carry the clouds over to the land and water the land make it fertile and make its way back to the sea there is a person behind that that's the God who is saying Seek me that you may live. Seek me that you may live. It is he, this same God, who flashes forth 
with destruction upon the strong so that destruction becomes upon the fortress. That imagery there flashes forth, sudden, overwhelming, irresistible, flash. The same God acting in that way. He returns to Israel in verse 10. But he says of Israel, they, they hate him who reproves in the gate. And that's the, the gate, if you don't know, was where they generally gathered. Uh, they would make rulings there. The elders of the, of the different tribes would render judgments in regards to lawsuits and, and disputes. They would teach doctrine there as well. It was, a, it was a social gathering place where justice should be had. And he says of them, they hate him who reproves in the gate. So when you stepped into that gate and, and, and called out the errors like Amos was doing and like he gets confronted with later on in this book, they, they hate that. They hate the reprovers in the gate. We just want yes men in the gate. We just want, we don't care if you believe it or not, we just want you to conform in the gate. Let me say this, the political environment today, social media, all those platforms, that's the gate. That's where the world, that's where this nation gathers and we have discourse. And we're already hearing it now. We don't want to hear reproof in the gate. In fact, they hate reproof in the gate. Go in the gate. Go on social media and speak the truth and find out how quickly you are dismembered or whatever they call it, canceled. Find out how quickly they exercise wrath. They're just like Israel, this nation is. They hate reproof in the gate. Even more so, verse 10, and they hate him who speaks with integrity. They're, it's amazing to me, but in our nation, it's okay now to be completely contradictory. I mean, it amazes me, they'll, they'll have a, a politician on the news and they'll make a one quote and they'll go back two years ago and he said something completely different. And then they ask him about that and he says, well, I just evolved. We had, a, we had a former president who was against homosexual unions or so-called marriage one day, but, but then in his administration, he became supportive of homosexual marriage. And there's no reasoning under that at all other than answering to the political or to the cultural winds in that moment. In the gate, they hate speaking with integrity. With truth and honesty and forthrightness and clarity. They hate that. They love ambiguity. Love it. Give us a word that we can all interpret our own way and we'll all be happy. You can go away and think what you want, your truth, my truth. Everybody's got a truth. All God's children got, got a truth. That's the culture we live in. That's exactly what Israel was. Verse 11, therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor, you're exploiting again those created in his image and extract, extract tribute of grain from them. Because of this, though you threw your prospering off the backs of those people, I think he means, though you have built houses of well-hewn stones for yourselves, you're not going to live in them. You're not going to live in them. And though you, though you have these extraordinary and luxurious vineyards, you're not going to drink a drop of wine from them. Babylon, in this case, Babylon will be living in your house and Babylon will be drinking your wine because you have done this. This is the God who's saying, seek me that you might live. Verse 12, he 
summarizes that. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor and the gate. Therefore, at such a time, in those type, I think he means there, in times like those, the prudent man, the prudent person keeps silent, for it's an evil time. So you're silencing the prudent man. Anybody that does have any sins, you make, a, you make an environment so violent to right speaking and, and transparency and clarity that many of the, of the prudent men will dare not speak in those moments. Perhaps that's what he means here. And so that introduces the, th- the fourth, the third seek here. Notice as well, God's personal invitation, seek me, his invitation through his prophets, through the word, seek the Lord, and now this seek good and not evil. There's the, there's the seek this and not that again, that you may live. So these three things, he lines up as the way that Israel might live. Seek, seek me, hear the admonition of the prophets, Seek me and here do good. Do good. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And this brief 14 and 15 is that little glimmer of light there. Because he says to them, and thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you. Just as you have said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. That's it. That's that little flicker of light. It's almost like a, a camera flash bulb or a lightning bolt. In all this darkness and gloom that he's saying, there's this boom. And it's just that quick. It's that quick. Seek me, seek the Lord, seek good and not evil. That's exactly what they weren't doing. Everything they were doing was evil. They even took good and perverted it to, to make it evil. I mean, they're like our generation. What was evil they called good and what was good they called evil. They had corrupted themselves altogether. Want to live? Seek the Lord. Hear the word of God. Hear the prophets of God. Admonition to seek the Lord and seek good. Not evil. It's amazing to me. I was talking to someone about this the other day and this has been an ongoing observation for me in terms of inward reflection and observation outwardly as well. But do you know, it seems to me, this is my uneducated anecdotal opinion, but it seems to me that people in our generation find it almost impossible to step outside of themselves and look at their situation and make an objective rendering in regards to what's happening there. They, They can't do it. I mean, we've lost that capacity because I think we've come, become so self-centered and so self-centric in our generation that the whole world evolves out of us. I, my situation dictates everything going on around me. And I can tell you right now, if that attitude doesn't change, we are dooming our children and grandchildren to the suffering that's ahead because this generation may have to make some serious sacrifices in order to reestablish justice and righteousness and good in our culture that our children might find a place to live in peace. But it's amazing how, how, how much like Israel we have become and the only light for Israel in this passage and the only light for us is to seek the Lord 
to follow the admonition of the scriptures, the truths of God, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to seek the Lord and to seek good and not evil. I mean, we're, we hear the admonition in the New Testament, not even returning evil, uh, return good for evil, not evil for evil, seek good, seek good. And some might even make the argument that that good itself is God. In New Testament, Jesus, you remember, he calls him good teacher and Jesus says, why callest thou me good? There's none good but God. And so you might even make the argument that the seeking of good is ultimately the seeking of God. Because when you seek God and you see the character of God, then you have, a, you have a standard by which to evaluate good and evil, light and dark. If you don't know God, you don't even have that, which is clear in our society, and it was obvious in the life of Israel. And it brought the judgment of God upon him. Let me just finish up. In verse 16 through 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord, that glimmer of light is, is gone out again. It's, it's a flash for all who were attentive and yearning for life and hope. They, they saw it and it drew them. But for those who let it pass by as they had let so much pass by before them, to these he speaks. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, there is wailing. Here it is, present tense. As if he's seeing it. There is wailing in all the plazas. And in all the streets they are saying, Alas, alas. They also call the farmer to mourning. And professional mourners to lamentation. And in all the vineyards there is wailing. Because I will pass through the midst of you. I wrote my notes in the margin there. There is a point at which it's too late for mourning. It's too late. They'll know then, but then they call them all together. They get the farmer, and then they hire professional mourners. Let's get together. Let's put ashes on and sackcloth, and let's cry out. Maybe it'll be like Nineveh, and the Lord will revent here. There is a point at which there's no more room for mourning. There's, it's not effective. It's not indicative of true repentance. And He says to them, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, which is probably perhaps what they were perhaps saying in all their mourning under this suffering. And he says to them, all those who, of you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will that day of the Lord be for you? That's not your rescue. You're calling upon the day of the Lord. You got the farmers and you got the professional mourners and you're, you're all wailing out, but there's no inward change of heart. You're the same corrupt people that you were. And yet in the midst of all that, you're, you're longing with some religious connotation. Oh, the day of the Lord. May the day of the Lord come and rejoicing in the day of the Lord. And he calls them out and he says, what will that day be for you? Not good. It's not going to be the day of your deliverance. It's going to be the day of your condemnation. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be for you? For you, as I'm uncertain that, it will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees. I, I love this imagery because it's just so graphic. A man flees from a lion. He's fleeing a lion. Got away from him. Turns around and a grizzly bear standing in front of him. That's what it's going to be like for you. You're saying, oh, the day of the Lord. We can't wait for the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord comes, you find out that it's your condemnation, not your deliverance. You got away from the lion thinking you had escaped death itself. And you turned right around to the jaws of a grizzly. 
Or you go home and you find refuge at home and you find relaxation after a hard day at work and you lean your hand against the wall to get a little support and what happens but a snake or a viper bites you. You want a little rest or you wanted to relieve a little bit of strain on your body and you thought to ease your suffering by leaning in one direction and what happened when you leaned in that direction? The viper bit you. Judgment, punishment came from what you thought would be your relief. Verse 20, he summarizes that. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? If y'all give me just a minute, let me finish reading at least verse 21. I hate, this is God's conclusion about their worthless, empty, heartless religion. I hate, I reject your festivals. Nor do I, by the way, that is is a a stunning statement. Because in general, they would have been doing this stuff, at least on the surface, as a response to their God. And to that very God, he says to them, I hate it. I hate it. I hate your festivals. Nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. They're no good here. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away, he says, from me the noise of your songs. Boy, that is a sobering statement for those who would offer up false, self-exalting worship. Take away from me the noise of your songs. It isn't harmonic. It isn't harmonious. It isn't rhythmic. It isn't soothing to my ears. It is noise. Take it away from me. It is not honorable to me at all. I won't even listen to the sound of your harps. But as an alternative here, verse 24, but let justice, I love this image as well, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I had the imagery there of justice coming down like a pouring rain, landing on the heights of Hermon and making its way down through the streams, coming into the valley, producing fertility and growth and, and prosperity in the valley. And he says, let justice be like that. Let it rain down and let it rain down heavy and let it fall on the tops of the mountains and reach all the way into the lowest of the valleys. Let righteousness flow, he says, like an ever-flowing stream. That's what they were to do as the alternative beginning in verse 22. Instead of their offerings, instead of their grain offerings and their fatlings and peace offerings and their songs and their harps, better you should let justice rain down than offer up these false praises. Man, that's a mandate for the church today. And I'm not talking about jumping on the social justice bandwagon in our day because they've perverted that every which way but loose. But there is a justice. There is a justice that ought to be held to and proclaimed by Christians and ministered to throughout this nation. And so we ought to be busying ourselves to do that. Verse 25 and 20 through 27 quickly. Did you present me, he said, with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? No, you didn't. 
In fact, there you learn to be dependent on me. You saw my power manifested and you learn to live day by day completely by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You learned how to live with God in the wilderness. You didn't offer up sacrifices and offerings. Not then. In fact, 26, you carried along Sikath, your king, and Kai and your images. Uh, some people believe that Sikath is, is actually the god Saturn. Uh, some people believe it's just analogous. It's, it's basically taking Babylonian gods now and inserting them in this narrative, implying to the Israelites that you're always caring about your deities. No matter where you go, even following God in the wilderness, you're, hover, you're, you're putting them away in your tent. You're hiding those away. You brought them out of Egypt and you, and you learned to love them in Egypt. So you're still nursing them. Believer, are you still holding on to the old idols of the old life, trying to follow God in the wilderness? We're a lot the same way. Verse 27, he finally closes. Therefore, I will make you, God says, go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So that's his conclusion. Uh, he's going to get further in this book as well, but, but I, I just wanted you to get five because in the whole chapter, in the whole book, it's like this massive lightning flash happens. And if you, if you miss that, then you get, you get really drugged down with the condemnation and the judgment and the pronouncement because it sounds repetitious, it sounds hard, it sounds depressing, you don't want to hear it. I'm a Christian, I need to rejoice in my liberty. We, we, we go in that direction. But if you miss this light, it will drag you down that way. But oh, if you hear this light, if you see this light, and if you seek God, seek the Lord, seek good and not evil, then all the, all the condemnation and the warnings of judgment and the severity of all that makes the light shine all the more brighter because that's the only other alternative left to you. Because he says clearly, seek me that you may live. And there's no other way of living other than seeking him. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for your patience. Father, we thank you for this day. Again, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace. Lord, I thank you for this light in the midst of the book of Amos. I have to confess father before you and for these people that the dwelling upon the condemnation declared and the judgment pronounced upon Israel and the conviction and the trembling that results from that is hard to endure for day after day and week after week but Lord thank you that you've kept us in it at least until we get to chapter 5 where this beam of light shines and Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that that light shone in my own heart, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and unveiled my blinded eyes, and I beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for that great mercy and that blessing tonight. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, I pray for those with courage to stand in the public square, those who would stand in the gate and speak truth with integrity and reprove with great courage, even at the cost, perhaps, of their own lives. Lord, I pray that you would send that sort of revival if you would be willing. Nevertheless, Father, we rejoice 
in the knowledge that we know that one day every knee will bow of things in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory. Go with us this week, Father, and keep our minds and our hearts set firm upon you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.